Hello everyone and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today we are reviewing episode 4 of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Memento Mori. Like always, I'm your host Clarence and I'm joined by my fellow co-host slash Trekkies, starting with none other than the Who story himself, Cal Jones. How you doing, man? You know what? I am very excited to talk about this. I can't wait to find out what you guys think. Mm. Glad to be here. Glad to have you here, sir. And also on the podcast, we have Jonathan Shorts. How are you doing? I am great, man. I am great. I am glad to be here as well and glad to talk some trick with you guys. Some of my favorite trick people. And I'm excited to talk about this very entertaining, interesting episode. We will chop it up. But of course, what we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek in somewhat excessive detail. In addition to talking all things Trek, we did receive some feedback from our last Trek trivia saying, oh, that was a really good Trek trivia question. So, Jonathan, tell us what was last week's Trek trivia question, and I will tell you the feedback we got. Well, awesome, awesome, awesome. So. The last trick trivia we had was which TOS character was actually created from a purchased but never produced TOS script called Shoal or Shawl. We did get feedback for that question from our friend Connor Harrell via email. And he writes, it's so good because it immediately throws you into thinking Spock, Pike, Yahira, Nurse Chapel and maybe number one. But the answer was actually a very minor character, Dr. Mbinga, who only appeared in two TOS episodes. So thank you for that feedback, Harold. How dare he say it's a minor character, but he is. Well, yeah, he he's, is. A minor, he's a minor <laughs> character, unfortunately. He is. <laughs> yeah, he's coming up in Strange New Worlds, of course. <laughs> exactly. But, yeah. but good job, Connor. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that was kind of a deeper cut so i didn't know if anybody was going to get that one awesome but i want that script more importantly <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome as well we should perform it live on the air <laughs> we're going to get right into our review of strange new worlds memento mori which was written by davy perez and Bo de mayo while dan lu directed the episode while on a routine supply mission to a colony planet The USS Enterprise comes under an attack from an unknown malevolent force. Pike brings all his heart and experience to bear in facing the crisis, but the security officer warns him that the enemy cannot be dealt with by conventional Starfleet means. All right. So for everyone listening, if you have not seen this episode, put us on pause, go out, watch it, come back, because from this moment forward, Spoilers. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle station. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you spray something. Thank you for this spoiler warning, Cal. Like always, we go back to you for the beats of the episode. Of course, they can be sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. You never really know. Mr. Jones, what do you have for us this week? Wait, 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 wait. I want to guess. This is going to be comedic. It has to be. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. mm. 
Uh, I'm going to get serious. I'm going to get serious. <laughs> okay, so I'm not really sure which way this goes. I don't know if it's comedic or if it is serious. So you guys get to decide. Here we go. When watching, in that moment, wanted more, said I. Mm. Wow. And that's it. That's <laughs> it. Okay. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. And I can, I can concur with that. Well, I, I don't know. I, let me let me pull that back a little bit. I don't know if I wanted more. I feel like we got a very meaty, meaty episode. Well, which moment was he speaking of, though? Well, I was just playing on the title, simply put. But wanted more is I wanted more episodes, not more from the story. Ah. Explain said title for me. I have no idea what that means. Oh, I have absolutely no idea what that means. <laughs> I just played. I just played on words with it. But as far as the episode, wanted more has absolutely nothing to do with the episode. I think, honestly, this is one of the most enjoyable Star Trek episodes I personally have ever watched. Wow. Wow. Mm. Head explode. Wow. And we've watched a lot of Trek together. (laughs) For real. (laughs) So what is Memento Mori? So I am kind of Googling on the fly because I did not look it up before we started recording. But it's a Latin phrase, which literally means, remember that you must die. So... Very interesting and very uh, poignant thinking about what happens to the in this episode and, and kind of what we're remembering in this episode. So maybe my beats was kind of offbeat, so to speak, <laughs> because it totally d- butchered what the meaning was. So let me just say for my, I guess that was comedic, perhaps. And Jonathan, I believe you were right. Let me just rephrase that and say, freaking good episode. <laughs> Indeed it is, sir. That's a good title because it's a dark, it's like, it was a, kind of a darker episode. So that was kind of a dark meaning to the t- to the title. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and get your thoughts, Jonathan. What did you think of the episode? Oh, man. I absolutely love this episode and the visuals, the script, the plot, the story. I loved it. And I, I, I just can't say enough about the writers and how they pull this off. And stayed in canon. Yeah. Yeah. That is freaking amazing. Whoever thought about it. Because normally, like, introducing this particular subject, like, there's all kind of ways you could get in trouble with canon. And they figured out an ingenious way to just bypass it all. Yeah, really. Yeah, really and truly. I I really uh, can agree with everything you just said. Kyle Jones, do you have any additional thoughts? Yeah, actually, absolutely. Yes, I do. So, for me, I... I'm a Whovian. Everybody listening to this show knows that I try to, even right now, tie everything back to Doctor Who, and I geek out about watching Doctor Who. I never knew. You never knew that? <laughs> I wow. never knew. See, who knew? You, who knew? <laughs> who knew? <laughs> but seriously, when I watch Star Trek, I enjoy watching Star Trek, but I'll be honest, I don't often feel that geek out moment that you guys feel. I just watch it, enjoy it, and move on. I feel like this episode had so many of the points that I think make Star Trek what is great about Star Trek. And I could just see you guys as I was watching this. I could remember you guys saying, oh, well, when they did this or when they did that. And I think it just went down the line and just click, 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 and checked all the boxes. At least for me, it did. 
Yeah, and I agree with everything you just said as well. I feel like this episode, they continue to just give us so much rich character development. Hearing things I never thought I would hear in this series, or, or, or we're having enemies that I never thought we would see, question mark, in this series. So I'm really enjoying it. I think there's no um, mistake that this was on the eve of Memorial Day here in the U.S., the way they played this Starfleet Remembrance Day. So it, it felt like a movie. It was a long episode. It was 54. Well, the runtime of the entire episode was 54 minutes. So meaty episode, a lot of great character development. Uh, of course, there's some things you could squabble about, which we'll get into. But overall, I just totally thought this was an excellent episode. So let's go ahead and get right into it. Starfleet Remembrance Day. Cal Jones, what did you think of that concept again on the eve of Memorial Day here in the United States? What did you think of that being in, in Star Trek and how they actually were able to convey it in this episode? You know, I liked the way that they represented it as not just everybody's wearing these pins, but they did it in a way that organically wove it into the story and made it a story point, not just a, oh, well, here's something we're doing, and we mentioned it, and that's it. That's why I think this episode, that's just one example of why mm. I think this episode worked so well. Jonathan? I like the idea. I, do, have we heard this before? I think it's new, man. I looked it up on Memory Alpha. I could not find any other reference anywhere on the internet. I could have swore I heard or saw something where they were wearing pins and maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking about something else, but I did like the idea. And I guess what kind of, you know, it, it, so the running joke and trick other than Wesley Crusher is always the red shirt joke. Yeah. <laughs> like that red shirt. Talk. And this is just kind of a way to say, listen, we're not, these people did contribute a bit. Let's remember them. You know what I mean? Oh, They're not man. just red shirts. <laughs> so I did, I did like it, man. I did like it. And it kind of gave you a, it gives you, I mean, if you're, if you can stop it and kind of look at the pins a little more, it just gives you a little deeper insight on maybe some history of each character. So I did love this idea. Interesting that you would bring up the red shirts there because I didn't even think of that. But poor red shirts in TOS. And, you know, we, it's off, often the joke that we make about TOS. You know, we, that's, that's the one that everybody knows what it is. Talk about the red shirts getting killed off. But man, this, this brings a deeper, more heartfelt spin to all of that because you know these are people that in this story universe that are using losing their lives so i think that's a really good uh notion that you mentioned there and it and you know normally in trick which is it's always been a light-hearted show they don't they don't really want to focus on a lot of death and losing people and so i mean you don't think about that you don't ever think about the people that were lost uh and so the red shirts like i said it's just always kind of you kind of put it in the bit you don't mind like we lose somebody, it's usually the red shirt, no name characters, and we just don't think about it. But kudos to them for kind of just putting that back on our minds. And, you know, not trying to jump ahead to the end, but it's a good way of how they bookend, you know, put the two bookends to the episode. You go in starting in a remembrance mindset, and then you end with a repercussions mindset yeah right yeah seeing the the bodies um all laid there it was really cool how they bookended that and you know they had these pins with the different ships which i thought was another nice touch that they put on it uh especially when it comes to lon's character 
and 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 how she feels about the entire entire ordeal. Now, John, it does slightly remind me of Star Trek Enterprise when the when Earth got attacked. Not really remembrance of Memorial, but it was kind of seemed like it had that same weight to it as, yeah. as this had. Yeah, it did, and that's you know that's kind of. I mean, Enterprise was a great series. You know, underrated. Minus, minus the minus the theme song, but it was a great <laughs> series. But it like really that moment when Earth was attacked and the loss of life kind of put a weight on the show that made it that much better. Like it brought us into the show yeah. more because we had like I don't know, it's something about loss that makes things more important. And you see that like in America when nine eleven happened, they say that's those kind of tragedies brought America closer together than any time before. And just using that in this script and not heavily, you know, it wasn't a heavy in your face thing, but it just mm-hmm. kind of brought you more into the story. Let's talk a little bit about the exploration of relationships as it continues in this episode. I, I can't speak enough of how great these relationships and the way they flushed them out have been. But first, let's talk about Himmer and Yahira in this episode. <clears throat> they get paired up early on, a cadet with the chief of engineering and she's i guess shadowing or just kind of working with them as part of her cadet training what do we think about these guys in this relationship and ultimately getting trapped in the cargo bay and 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 kind of some of the things they had to do there to to get out so coming into it from the perspective of someone who is hearing impaired whereas he is vision impaired but I rely on my vision because I'm hearing impaired, especially in communication, face-to-face, reading lips. And I noticed during the pandemic, it was much harder for me to communicate with people because I lost that ability with the mask to go into a store and unconsciously, like, I can't word for word read lips, but it was an aid in understanding people. Mm. I felt him in this episode, Mm. meaning, you know, he's someone who can't see, but sees with his hands. Yeah. And not having that ability, I think he was forced out of that shell of whatever shell it is, whether it was being standoffish, whether it was being sarcastic. And he was paired with someone whose innate ability is language. And I thought just the simple pairing there was brilliant. Mm, that's good. That's good. I didn't think about that. I, 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 I'm, I'm with you, uh, Kyle. I, it did like it. <laughs> I, I don't know. And I, I don't suffer from a disability. I mean, maybe I have a mental disability that's undiagnosed, <laughs> but like just to think, I mean, you put yourself and like you say, you've experienced it. Like, an engineer without his hands is terrible. Like that's yeah. almost not possible, let alone you're doing it blind. So just the gravity of that situation was a lot. Uh, but I, I tell you what I got most out of this. I, I just, it wasn't as heavy as that moment, but just to hear, you know, when he was kind of running her through like basic questions and she gave him like that basic answer, like any first year cadet would. And he kind of mm. responded like he would. And then she's like, well, since you're asking, it's blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, right on. That's awesome. But another thing I got from that, uh, and I dare not say it loud, but I will. Uh, it kind of ties in the kind of what we were missing on lower decks. All right. So, mm. I mean, we get that lower decks is about 
the crew that hadn't become the bridge crew yet or hadn't moved up to the officer level yet. Like what probably would have helped in lower decks is a little bit more of showing that development of making those raw cadets actually officer material. Mm-hmm. And we kind of see that process in the scene of what goes on. Like I had no idea that's how it worked. I mean, obviously that's a good idea and that's probably what they were doing, but you never seen that. I've always wondered in Trek, you know, it's like the doctor always has a basic understanding of engineering or the engineer has a basic understanding of the science officer's job or vice versa. Like I always said, I, I'm sure they went over it in Starfleet Academy, but like they good enough in these situations to get it done. Like, how did you do that? Yeah. Right. <clears throat> and that now that kind of informs us that they actually on the ship, they're actually getting on the job training in mm. these other areas. Hmm. Yeah, I, I was a uh, good point. Good point. I love that pairing, you know, kind of passing that knowledge, even though it's not their main job or the main assignment. They still kind of just jump over and learn these different roles throughout the ship. So I, I really love seeing that play out in this episode. Also was really impressed by Yahira's knowledge there of engineering. because <laughs> Yes. And, and they even made the point in the episode. You would think they'd be two very different things, but they they also they're all. They're both dependent on things interworking together, you know. So I really loved how they explained that off. And just some great moments of them work together. And when she thinks she's done, he's like, you're just getting started. And so many great moments with them. And I really, really like the way they played that out in this episode. It's really well done. Either of you guys, did y'all do any research? I did not. Uh, what was this device that they were working on? So that is the device they were taking to Finibus 3 to actually provide air to the colony that was running out. I think that's what it was. I think it was the air processor. Okay. Yeah, that's the only thing I could come up with. (laughs) (laughs) I was just, I kind of thought maybe that was it, but like they were making it out to seem like it was some type of, I don't know, engine or something. Like it's going to overheat and explode. Yeah, but I, I think it was more about not what the thing they were working on which you know now you have me curious but whatever they were working on or whatever was damaged in the initial battle that's what i focus more on but now you have me curious well and the reason i ask that because i mean we'll get to the end to find out this piece of machinery is very important to our to our crew and helping them avoid catastrophe and like i just want to know why was it on the ship to start with if not just a plot device yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like I said, I think it was going to that planet, but I could be totally wrong. I rewound that scene several times to try to get more clarity, and I could not. Also, I think that maybe I was getting it confused with the actual ship because they had to keep the ship cool while it was going through that dense, uh, increasingly hot brown dwarf. So uh-huh. I was getting I was getting some of that verbiage confused on what they were actually fixing the ship versus that processors or i don't know it seemed important because him was like i need to secure this before we leave so who knows (laughs) so if you hear loud ringing shrieks in the sky rain on fire gorn are coming what did we think about i'm a whole little closer seeing at least we saw the ships (laughs) the gorn in this episode i'm gonna throw this to you jonathan we've seen the gorn in enterprise archer had a showdown with one of course, we have the famous battle at Vasquez Rocks between Kirk and the Gorn. How did you like our introduction to them in this episode? You know, I really appreciated it. 
when they first mentioned Gorn, I was kind of worried slash intrigued at how they were going to do this. They pulled it off on Enterprise because it was a mirror mirror episode. Yep. Because technically, we don't see the Gorn for the first time until Kirk faces off against him. Yes. Against them. So, uh, but I mean, it's certain prudence that maybe we've heard about them before. And then uh, the nun says something like, you know, you may not have heard because nobody lives to tell about them. Mm. So, uh, I mean, they cleverly put that in a certain <laughs> way that would work. But putting all that aside, you know, if you were watching the arena, right, and you see the Gorn in the fight, and I know it's just old, bad CG, but like you don't. No CG. Re- well, no CG, yeah. <laughs> bad, bad, Dude whatever. Special effects. <laughs> but you're, you're thinking like, man, how could this be so dangerous? <laughs> like, what's so dangerous about them? Yeah. Uh, of course, we see on the Enterprise, like, just the brute strength and, and just violence of a Gorn, but like, short of that, you're just kind of like, eh, you know, it's not the Borg, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, I mean, now we get a glimpse into their technology. Ooh, yeah. Their ships. And it's like, oh, now we're adding another level to why the Gorn was such a feared species. And that's what I appreciate it most, even though we never saw them. Uh, but just to see the technology in their ships and it just kind of established another part of the Gorn canon that I think we needed to have. To fill in that space we're missing. Cal, we always talk about on Doctor Who how sometimes it's better not to see the alien. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because it, indeed. It, it, it raises the suspense a little bit. It makes it, you know, we had a little bit of horror in this episode as well while we're on the planet and also while we're traveling through the the uh the 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 red the brown dwarf. Brown the dwarf. brown dwarf, yes. Red dwarf was the series. <laughs> a, a British series, mind you. Yes, indeed. How did you feel it aided in the episode with us not actually seeing a Gorn on screen? Oh, I think it completely shaped how we discussed this episode, because look at Discovery Season 1 and how much every single time we saw them, there was questions slash jokes slash fill in the blank of how the Klingons look. And it totally circumvented, uh, replaced, surpassed any thoughts of what the Klingons were actually doing. You guys just had a conversation, not about how they looked, but about how they did, what they did. I think that was smart. I think not having them was one of the smartest things this episode did. Mm. Come in, John. Oh, no, I just just agree with Kyle. Like like he said, it's just not seeing them. It just left it, like you said, this was almost like not a horror, but it's more of a scarier episode. And what better way to build suspense than to heavily focus on something you can't see? So let me ask you a question. Did either of you imagine in your own minds what they might would have looked like or how they might would have been envisioned? You you know, what's so funny about that is I never even thought to think about it. You have this image in your head of what they look like already from having seen them a few times in Trek. But I just, I was so enveloped in the episode, I never really thought about <laughs> it in the back of my head of what they might look like. What about you, Jonathan? Me personally, I because I like I said, I'm not much, I don't watch much TOS. I saw the arena once, maybe twice, but if I, well, I don't know if I can say I expected to see them, like I'm pretty sure we wouldn't see them if they were smart, but 
if we were to see them now in Strange New Worlds or Discovery, whatever the case may be, I was kind of expecting, I would expect more for them to look like the Gorn on the Enterprise Mirror episode. Because that, that looked, that Gorn looked a bit more fitting to the description of the Gorn. So here's why I asked that question. And again, it goes back to what I'm saying about this being a brilliant move on the writers. For someone who doesn't care to just keep the canon in their head, fine. For someone who wants to go the mirror universe, fine. For someone who wants to sit there and imagine what they might would have been re-envisioned as, fine. It works for everybody and it doesn't detract from the story at hand. Yeah. And, you know, on the uh, Mirror episode on the Enterprise, uh, Dr. Flox actually describes him as a velociraptor. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so let's get into Lon in this episode, because this very much was her story. Uh, the Federation is wrong. Some things in this universe are just plain evil. What do we think about her in this episode as it relates to her encounter with the Gorn and getting just maybe a little bit more of that story peeled back to us to have a better understanding of of why she is the way she is as it relates to the Gorn. Even going toe to toe with Captain Pike by saying, you need to raise shields, you need to run, get away because these Gorn don't play. <laughs> Again, she was not wrong when she said raise the shields. <laughs> Gosh, when you hear her say raise, you better just put the shields up before. Maybe she's saying hands, but just to be safe, we're going to raise the shields when she says it. Oh, boy. <laughs> like, she is spot on both times. Um, again, it just kind of added to the suspense of this. And like you say, this was truly her episode. But, and you know, you kind of get, she was strong in this episode, but we dug into her vulnerability and why. Yeah. And that that traumatic episode that she went through, like, says it all. And now we get a, we got a little bit more into that storyline. So, you know, the first the first episode we mentioned this in, you know, I was kind of thinking kind of more of the arena side. Like she was stuck on the Gorn homeworld and like on a feeding planet or whatever. I'm thinking like stuck yeah. in like an egg egg somewhere in a, in a desert or something. But like this added a dark twist to it, like because I was kind of like, eh, yeah, you were there. But like, was it that bad? And I get it. Everybody was killed. But like, was it that bad? But to see this flashback. Oh, boy. It was like, oh, wow. This is what you survived. And this is how you survived. That's crazy. That, that was just it was very dark, very dark. So I'm going to sound like a broken record here and keep on the trope of how well this was written. But I promise you, when this episode started and I thought it was going to be about her again, I thought to myself, I am so tired of her. <laughs> I am so tired of her because I was thinking she was coming off to me as a trope, meaning you've got the character's name and she was nothing more than at the beginning for me, nothing more as, oh, you're related to Khan. That's supposed to make you interesting. I watched the episode and actually liked her at the end. Yeah. That is why I think, again, this was so well written. I start disliking you, thinking I'm tired of you, and actually learn about you and like you at the end. Yeah, so much about her relationships. We start off with her relationship with num number one. Why aren't you wearing your pendant? Number one goes down conveniently, of course. 
And then she's on the bridge as acting number one again. And just great moments of her with with Captain Pike is he tries to relate to her the duties of a first officer. You know, oh. sometimes you have to be hopeful. You can't always be the, the, the tractor or the, the naysayer in the room. Sometimes you. Sometimes your job is to be hopeful for your crew, even in a dire situation. So I loved, loved, loved Pike yeah. giving her that lesson. And you know what else I like? I mean, I wanted to mention this up top. I didn't get a chance to. But I'm loving what they're doing with the uh, officer logs at the beginning. Yes. So, I mean, we've had Yora, uh, We've had number one. And Pike, I think, was the first one. And now Lanon, it's and so you kind of know going in that this may be focused on that character. And so that kind of adds suspense because now I'm trying to tie in everything that's happening to that character. Like, OK, the log started with her. So this is something about her. But that's not where the show started. Yeah. Which yeah. made it even better. Yeah. And they're doing such a brilliant job of following uh, of following through with these stories you know, you mentioned several episodes back, we start to get trickles about who Lon is and some of her background. Even when you talk about Hemmer and Yuhira, their first meeting at the, the captain's dinner. You know, it, it's just they're, they're playing these storylines to a great conclusion. And I just hope they keep going in a positive way with it because it's, it's been so beautiful to watch. Isn't this also a reminder that you can have an ongoing arc? And I use that word loosely. But you can have character arcs, but not a story arc. And yeah. and I think that is what I'm enjoying about this. And don't get me wrong. I love my big overarching arcs. But if you have solid characterization, you can get away from having that big arc occasionally, Chris Chibnall, but have <laughs> great characterization. Yeah. So we talked about Luan and number one, Luan and Pike. But we also get some great moments, as John mentioned a minute ago, with the mind mill, Lon and Spock. What did you guys think of that pairing and that that meeting of the minds that they had there? Mm. So my first thought when they said mind mill, I was like, don't do it. This is <laughs> going to be dangerous. And sure enough, there's and we're going to hear more about that. So, I mean, and I'm sure you guys heard the who was in the background. Yes, dude. I was so happy to hear that. <laughs> like, that's for the haters out there. That's for the haters. I like, oh man, because I mean, we know my mails are, you know, they're a two way street, which is why they're so personal. Because a Vulcan, if he my mails with you, he's also letting you inside his head or his or her head. Yeah. And my first thought was, man, you have secrets you cannot let out, and this yeah. is not a good idea. And sure enough, luckily, I mean, they kind of glossed over it. Or he glossed over it. But yeah, that was that was uh, interesting to say the least. But it was an ingenious way of getting to the bottom of her thought process of what was bugging her, because something was obviously bugging her. And it was obviously important to our episode. Cal, what do you think about the sacrifice of her brother and this information that we get that she's able to remember of this talking in light that the Gorn do sort of a Morse code that they use to communicate. Mm. You know, honestly, this was the only thing I think that was a detractor for me because I think it came across too much of a trope, you know, seeing that mental image. And honestly, it reminded me of the uh, two characters on Discovery 
that one, you know, I can't remember their name off the Adira and Gray. And it reminded me of that. And I, I just felt it was a trope. So for me, that part didn't work. That was the only part of the episode to me that didn't work. For me, I think I really started to appreciate it watching it again because the first time I didn't notice. Well, I looked, I, I guess I saw his notes, but when I actually looked at it harder, you could see that it sort of looked like Morse code dashes. I'm like, oh, she can take that and then actually talk to this this other ship. So first time around, I, I to- that was totally lost on me. <laughs> I was a little weirded out. Like, how is she telling this ship that, that, that they need to be destroyed? You know, I'm like, that's a little too convenient. But, <laughs> but going back and watching it, I could appreciate it a lot more. But what I really liked about that scene, you know, we get the reference to Michael Burnham and his sister. And by the end of the mind mill, Spock is the one that's really spooked about the whole thing. <laughs> he's sweating. Yeah, he's definitely sweating. Uh but I will tell you this particular scene, though, I don't know why we keep touching on this discovery communication scene with Tennessee. Yeah. I was like, oh, boy, here we go again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Luckily, they didn't dive into it that deep. But uh, I, I mean, that could have gone sideways. So I was kind of halfway expecting to come away from that kind of feeling like how like uh, this is not going to work for me. But they didn't. They didn't dive too much into that. Anything is better than communicating with emotions. <laughs> right. <laughs> Over symbols of gas. Oh, I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> but did you notice the uh, uniforms that she and her brother, Lenon, and her brother had on looked strangely Starfleet-ish? They reminded me somewhat of the uniforms in Star Trek Beyond. Just a little. Just a little. Of course, the Puget Sound was just, it wasn't a Federation ship. It was just uh, SS Puget Sound. But that's what I, I knew the ship wasn't Federation, but those uniforms look strangely Federation. So I don't know. Maybe we'll dig into that some more in another episode. Uh, kind of remind me of another ship we'll see in the future at SS Botany Bay. Ooh. You know, the only thing that I think is a bad idea is sending Spock on away missions because the simple fact of sending him away somewhere means pretty much <laughs> everything's going to be okay. <laughs> well, that's like for half of the characters on the show, so we really can't, you know, why are we watching? <laughs> well, but, but true, good point. But for the most part, maybe let's just say Nurse Chapel gets hurt or something and blah, 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 and she can only be seen ever so often. That's why she's the way she is on the uh, original series or whatever. But you get my point, for yeah. the most part. Yeah, really yeah, really, the only characters that can die are um, Ortegas and Lon. That's it. Yeah. So, True story. Great point, though. I, I totally get what you're saying. So let's get in, Let's get into a bit of the strategy of the episode. Oh. This episode reminded me of the TOS season one episode with the Romulans uh, Balance of Terror uh-huh. where it just it's it seemed like you know again if we're going back to this Memorial Day thing it it felt like two submarines fighting almost the way it was <laughs> the way it was choreographed the way the scenes were staged you know being in red alert almost the whole time gave that right tint to the episode you know we even get to a point where we're talking about 
uh, a sonar radar system sort of thing that Spock was able to figure out. And the fact that Spock had a viewfinder, I thought that was so freaking awesome. Well, he always had this viewfinder. But yeah, yeah. He, he always has a viewfinder, though. But, but, but good point. <laughs> it's funny that you call it a viewfinder. <laughs> It does. It reminds me of one of these little things I had as a kid that was, you know, you had to put the little wheel thing in it. And what's, what's the put real it, name for those things? I don't even know what the real see, name is. On a submarine, it's a periscope, I think. Oh, yeah, Paris. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I called it, too, though, Cal. You could really at least call you. it like an Oculus or something. <laughs> okay. You want to know what the name of the toy? You want to know what the name of the toy is? What's that? Viewfinder. <laughs> Oh, boy. I see a spoof episode coming. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> so getting into some of that strategy, though, we've had we had pretty much three separate times where we were able to get away or slash destroy a ship. We had the let's go deeper until the ship gets crushed. We had the drop a torpedo and we had the play dead scene at the end. Did any of you guys want to look or, or dive into any one of these scenes that maybe tickled your fancy? Mm. So the play dead scene, I guess you would call it. And, you know, we get a mention from Ortega. If this works, we're going to uh, we're gonna name it the pike maneuver. And what that stuck out to me. So we we got there's a few different maneuvers. And I was going this is going to question. I was going to ask you guys. So we have the pike maneuver, the Picard maneuver. And the Riker maneuver. <laughs> is that the pump scoop or the hand, the leg over the chair? Which one That's is the it? leg over the chair. <laughs> but no, the uh, so strangely familiar to that Picard maneuver. So, you know, the Picard in, on the Stargazer, he was fighting, I think, Ferengi, I think it was. And so he basically warped directly at him. So their sensors would pick up both pick up the ship where he was. And where it warped to at the same time. So it made it look like two ships. Mm. So that's kind of where I got this. I don't necessarily say they played dead, but more or less led them to believe the ship was somewhere where it wasn't. So I thought that was really good. But I think Pike did it better. Really? Mm -hmm. For, For me, I think just the dynamics of what was going on in that scene. You had this brown dwarf and you have this black hole. And they're, and throughout all those scenes, they're kind of playing both of those to actually, A, be able to not be detected and, and, and B, just kind of move around and, and, and not, you know, and, and maybe get some tactical advantage on their side to attack a little bit. Uh, I really love that torpedo scene where they just like, that seems similar. Where have we seen that before? They kind of just backed up and dropped the torpedo <laughs> over them. Well, see, it wasn't that they dropped it. The gravity of the brown dwarf pulled it toward them when they opened their bay. Yeah, but the other episodes we saw, it was more of a, they set it out like landmines. If mm. I so I think it was a DS9 episode uh, where the Defiant couldn't use sensors. They were in that planet in the uh, Gamma Quadrant. And what was it? It was same, something similar, like a gas giant or something. The sensors were down. They were, Dominion ships were chasing them. And so they would Cisco ordered O'Brien to make arm some torpedoes with a proximity detonator. And they used the same thing. They made a sonar system and they kind of went above them and just kind of where they were coming. They like dropped the torpedo where they were coming and let them kind of run into it. Mm. Oh, man, I love that so much. (laughs) (laughs) But but back to your the playing dead scene. 
I thought it was really interesting of how they had this, I guess, because of the pull of the black hole of just like this prolonged explosion that made it look like the ship was destroyed as well. <laughs> and also using the gravity well to kind of to have or take is kind of ride the wave out. Um, I thought that was pretty, pretty brilliant as well. So I did some uh, research, you know, so Kirk used this maneuver a couple of times to travel back in time. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if it's a brown dwarf or not, but he'll get use the gravity to kind of slingshot him fast enough past warp 10 to go back in time. As well as the Bork Queen in the yeah. Las Arena. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty freaking cool. Any other thoughts about the episode other than, I guess, Omega gives number one, a blood transfusion from him. And I guess that was pretty interesting. It seems like a bingo only has bad news when he's on, <laughs> whenever he's on the, uh, on the comms, just bad news from him. But, you know, I, I love the team of him and, and their chapel. They're really fun together. Yeah. And I like her non-existent bedside manner. Oh. <laughs> yeah. She just says whatever's on her mind, which is fine. You know, maybe that's something she learns because I don't, believe she's like that in TOS. I think she's very reserved on TOS. So so let me ask you you guys a question. And my question is, you know, kind of we've hinted around it and you guys may have brought this up on a or an episode that I unfortunately missed. But my question is, do the character changes, the personality changes that you're witnessing in these episodes, specifically, let's use her as an example. Here you've got this independent character, sarcastic, well-formed in just a mm. few episodes. Does it then make you ask that question of how does this well-formed character become what we see? Don't think the meta-ness of it, of the time that it was made, but the story of it. How does that gel with the two portrayals it doesn't really <laughs> it doesn't nurse chapel in this series very outspoken very in the mix very upfront and in your face nurse chapel in tos not so much so it is a younger version of the 10 year younger version of the character so who's to say over the course of the 10 years she doesn't become more reserved but good point. On, on the meta again, you said forget the meta, but on the meta meta side of it, it was the sixties. <laughs> True. <laughs> well, and and also these characters. I mean, you don't. The good thing about it is, you know, just like uh, the last week's trick trivia. You know, we we're talking about a minor character, like so. You don't really invest much in them in TOS. You get what yeah. I'm saying? So, like for us for us to go back and say, well, this nurse chapel is. Not there's no way she became that nurse chapel. Well, we didn't get enough nurse chapel in the TOS to really yeah. justify that opinion. And it's going to be the same thing with number one, same thing with Pike, same thing with, well, maybe Eura uh, was, it will be different. We have to see how she develops uh, because we see a lot of her in TOS. But I mean, the rest of it is easy. It's easy. The writers have an easier time because we're dealing with characters that never really got a whole lot of script in TOS. The only other thing I would add to that is, luckily, we have Ethan Peck, uh, if you want to think Spock for a second, yeah. that is so good at what he does that it just works. Yeah. Even down to the, uh, 
He knows when he says one part in here, he says censors, but he said it like, you know, Spock said censors. Censors. I do find that he's almost too robotic for me at times, but I get I get what he's doing there. So I'm not going to not going to fault him too much on that. And then after you work with Kirk for so long, you have to loosen up, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I loved everything in this episode and I can't wait to see what they do with these characters further. It does seem like the runway for character focused episodes is is kind of coming to an end. So with that, I mean, we can have an Ortega's episode and again, we can go back to Spock, which I think we are going to do in the next episode. But I do think we probably are going to focus on some big thing for the end of the season. Now that we've established, we know these characters now. We've, we've established these characters. So uh, I, I'm, I'm game for some big thing happening at the end where we can come back as one and and have a great finale to the season. So, yeah. You know what? I think you guys just answered, unconsciously answered my question about Nurse Chapel. And may I elaborate in a snarky way real quick? Do tell. So, you know, I, I said that she had this snarky bedside manner. Maybe the fact when she is assigned to the Enterprise as it becomes in the original series, she sees someone that is so sarcastic and so whatever that she's like, you know what? I don't want to be anything like that. I'm just going to be over here in my corner until I can be transferred somewhere else. Oh, that'd be a terrible sick bay if they were both the same way. <laughs> Somebody's got to be the good cop here. <laughs> right. Oh, boy. And it works. It that, does. That, that explanation works, at least for me. And with that, we will go ahead and get ratings for the episode. And I will start. I'm going to give this one a 4.9. Yeah. Really loved it. Almost perfect. Heck, no, I'm going five. It's a great episode. This is a perfect episode. I'm I was just five. getting ready to ask you, where is the point <laughs> zero one that you're missing here? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, again, my first time watching it, I, it re- the light thing really bothered me. It really <laughs> bothered me. But I've been talked down. I'm going to give it a five. What What about you guys? What about you, Cal Jones? How do you rate this episode? Oh, it's not even a question. Easily five. Totally five. Awesome sauce. Jonathan Shorts. Just record it for the rest of this series. I'll be a five. And if I think <laughs> it'll be different, I'll let you know. <laughs> but uh, this this series is amazing. It is amazing, and it's on track to be my favorite. You said on trick, on trick to be my favorite. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just so good, man. I can't find even the parts that may be a problem with. It's so good, it just kind of overwrites that. All right, guys, how do you feel about this episode? You can send that in to fans at discussingtrek.com or hit us up at discussingtrek on any and all social medias, and you can also use those outlets to respond. To Trek Trivia. John, what is our Trek Trivia for this week? Alright, so this week's Trek Trivia. During what major event did the Gorn agree to join the Federation Alliance? What? (laughs) (laughs) This is another deep cut, guys. It's not going to be pictured on any show that we saw on television, but it is in a canon literature somewhere. They joined the Federation? They joined the Federation Alliance. 
it has to be something in the far future. It has to it was, be. Yeah, it's in the far future, but it's and it was not a permanent joining, but they did join the Federation Alliance during this one major event. Was it the Orion Syndicate war at the end of or season three of Discovery? No. Huh. It was, ah, I have it. It was when, I'm being so not funny here. <laughs> it was when the Federation Marketing Department decided that they wanted to do Gorn to be wild. <laughs> Gorn to be wild. <laughs> you know what, guys? We got to make those Gorn relatable. Let's do it. It'll be big. You know, it's, uh, but it, you know, when I read this, I kind of said, you know, that makes sense because we needed them. Mm. Guys, if you know what tentpole event allowed the Gorn to be temporarily become part of the Federation, they joined the Federation Alliance. Mm. If you know what that event is, guys. You can send that in once again to those outlets I addressed previously, and we'd love to hear your feedback. Okay, and let me give you a hint, since this is going to be kind of a deeper cut. Um, The ship that convinced them was the USS Enterprise 1701D. All right, guys. Well, again, to send that in to fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. Cal, John, thanks for joining me for this discussion. It's been a lot of fun. And until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to DiscussingTrek.com slash subscribe. been listening to the discussing network find out more at discussingnetwork.com